0: Welcome my wife, Wendy. She's going to help us today get started with uh, the message. Um,
1: you have
0: to, it's on. It's on. Um, have although,
1: those of you that have um, a, a wariness of Hallmark commercials, you might want to leave now. <laughs> um, this story has been a meaningful one, and I know that it probably has been meaningful to a, quite a few other people here. Um, but it's one that I was given this book before we ever had children, and I've read it throughout their childhood as they've grown up. Um, and uh, But it does have a, a sappy factor, but I figured of all days that I can be sappy today, should be okay, okay? Um, but you know, there's just something about a mother's love that's that she bear kind of protective, consistent faithfulness that we just love and we hope um, mothers have. And um, that, for example, when our daughter was when she was being in delivery, she had some complications. And my mom ended up being able to be there, and she was in the corner of the room. Now, it got more chaotic, and so the nurses asked her to leave, but then my mom just stood outside the door like a, you know, a guard. And um, one of the medical specialists came in, and she said, oh, he he said, you know, your mom is is like a pit bull. And I'm like, I'm not quite sure what he meant, but I loved it because to know that my mom was there and she's just gonna be there because nobody messes with my mom. She may be tiny, but you don't mess with my mom. She yeah. protects her own. And um, when I read this story, um, it just reminds me so much of um, who God is and those attributes of who he is, that faithfulness, that protectiveness. And in this story we see it through um, we see a glimmer of who he is in the story of, in the story of a mother. So as a mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and while she held him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The baby grew, and he grew, and he grew, and he grew until he was two years old, and he ran all around the house, he pulled all the books off the shelves, he pulled all the food out of the refrigerator, and he took his mother's watch, and he flushed it down the toilet. Sometimes, his mother would say, this kid is driving me crazy. But at nighttime, when that two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room. She'd crawl across the floor and looked up over the side of his bed, and if he was really asleep, she'd pick him up and rock him back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby will be. The little boy grew, and he grew and he grew and he grew and he grew until he was nine years old. And he never wanted to come in for dinner and he never wanted to take a bath. And when his grandma visited, he always said bad words. Sometimes his mother wanted to sell him to the zoo. But at nighttime, when he was asleep, the mother quietly opened the door to his room. She'd crawl across the floor and look up over the side of the bed. And if he was really asleep, she'd pick up that nine-year-old boy and she'd rock him back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The boy grew, and he grew, and he grew, and he grew until he was a teenager. He had strange clothes, and he wore strange, strange, fr- and he had strange friends, and he listened to some strange music. And sometimes the mother felt like she was in a zoo. But at nighttime, when the teenager was asleep, The mother opened the door to his room and crawled across the floor and looked up over the side of the bed. And if he was really asleep, she'd pick up that great big boy and rock him back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby will be. So that teenager grew and he grew and he grew and he grew until he was a grown up man. And he left home, and he got a house across town. And But sometimes on dark nights, the mother got into her car, and she drove across town. And if all the lights in her son's house were out, she'd open his bedroom window and crawl across the floor and look up over the side of the bed. And if that <laughs> great big man was really asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And when that mother got older, um, she got older and older and older. And one day she called up her son and said, you'd better come and see me because I'm very old. And So her son came to see her. When he came in the door, she tried to sing a song and she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. But she couldn't finish because she was too old. The son went to his mother and he picked her up and he rocked her back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And as and he sang the song, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I am living, my mommy will be. When the son came home that night, he stood for a long time at the top of the stairs. And then he went into the room where his very new baby daughter was sleeping and he picked her up in his arms. And he very slowly rocked her back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And while he rocked her, he sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby will be. Um, I hadn't pulled this um, story out for about two years. And um, about a month ago, I was going through a little bit of a hard time, heavy, it was a heavy time with one of my kids. And um, I don't think this child liked my behavior and I know that I didn't like his. Or, ooh shoot, I didn't do that in person. (laughs) Anyway, it's one of the two. Um,
0: it's only down to two now, sorry.
1: <laughs> um, anyway, um, it was just one of those hard times where I felt completely incapable as a parent and still wondering after three children when somebody, so what, which, when are my parents really going to take over for this job because I'm not doing so good. Um, but um, but I, it was interesting, it was time and a time of prayer and some quiet time with a heart that was pretty heavy. Uh, for this kid. And I felt led to pull out this book. And as I read it, I could just tell the Holy Spirit was just softening my heart toward him, toward um, seeing, helping me see um, my, my children differently and filling them back up with that love and that desire to want to parent again. And I just loved that. And I was so grateful because you need that. And then as I sat there even longer, I just was reminded you know, of how quickly time goes and how fast things um, stages, you know, those frustrating moments don't last forever, and um, and then to know that this really is a picture of how God sees us, that He sees us in a way that um, He actually likes us, that we're His own, and um, to be able to rest in that, I just love how God works in those kind of things.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> You know, I referred to it as a cheesy story, the first service, and I was told I shouldn't do that. But I actually had tears the first service, so, you know, cheesy can be okay. So the word this service is sappy. (laughs) You know, what is it about a sappy story that makes it one of the better-selling mom-child stories of all time? Isn't it really that all of us, regardless of whether it's A mom and a son, or a son towards a mom, or a dad and the kid, or a friend, or a sibling. Isn't it that really all of us just long for this lifelong friendship of unconditional love? That's just going to always be there. And you know, we've got this phrase in our society today, I love you, but I'm not sure I like you right now. Wouldn't it be nice to just have someone in our life that we knew for sure loved us and liked us? For the rest of our life. Well, today we're going to talk just a little bit about that. We're in a series called Best, or not sorry, Better Now. And we're talking about the fact that it's better now that Jesus is actually gone from the earth, that he's not here, that he sent his spirit to us. And what is this thing about following the Spirit of God and understanding His presence with us today to lead us through this journey of life? And today we get to talk about it in the context of this kind of thing what are the barriers that keep us from having this kind of lifelong unconditional wonderful love what are the barriers from other people what are the barriers in us that keep us from experiencing that we're going to use again an illustration that i've used the last two times up here except this time we have these beautiful props and so I realize there are some of you who are, have not probably been here the last two times I've speak, spoken, so we're just going to review what we, spoke, what we talked about the last two times I was up here. For the rest of you, it's just review and enjoy it for a second. We talked about, uh, two times ago, we talked about how God views us in our sin. When we sin against Him, how does He view us? And how are we supposed to respond to Him? what does that look like? And we talked about the fact that Jesus came to this earth to die on a cross so that we would be perfectly forgiven. Completely and perfectly forgiven. And we always view ourselves in sin as being full of rags. And we always think that God views us as torn up and not worthy. And this is a great interview outfit, isn't it? As somebody who would not be worthy of hiring. And yet, when we're forgiven, the Bible uses words like, we are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have right standing with Him, not because of anything we have done, but because of His grace, that He views us as right standing. There's a biblical word as well used, justified, that He views us as completely justified. It's a legal term that means all of our guilt, all of our shame, everything is wiped away, wiped clean, gone. And that He no longer views us as rags, but He views us like this because the Bible also teaches that God created us what? Not just good, but very good. Not like other people, are not like, not like other things on the earth. We are the pinnacle of His creation. Humankind is the only part of His creation created that was very good, not just good. We were created in His image. And when we receive Christ's forgiveness, He chooses to view us as we were originally created to be. Wonderful. Very good. As pure, as clean The best version of us that we could possibly ever imagine in the full potential. But we all realize if we live life very long, more than about two seconds, that we actually live back over here, don't we? Even if we've accepted forgiveness, even if we have decided to follow Jesus, we still struggle. Just because He views us that way, we still oftentimes look and feel a little bit more like this. Like we're just dirty, like we just can't seem to get rid of these things in our lives that we want to get rid of that, that create these this pain and these barriers, these hurts in us and others. And the Bible uses a term called sanctification, which means that when we're over here, but God views us like that because He's forgiven us, that this process of living life is just called sanctification it is a step of staying in tune with God focusing on him taking one step at a time because you see contrary to what we think of ourselves when God forgives us when we choose to declare him the leader of our life he does not necessarily have to deal with all of our sin all at once because he forgives not only what we know and we confess to him But when we choose to surrender our lives to him, he forgives what we even don't know. And he's not worried that we're not there yet. There's this little thing in the Bible, it's it's a scripture that says, today's trouble is enough for today. All God wants us to do is to deal with what is Today and to keep heading that direction. In fact, the scripture today because talking about the spirit that we're going to use is in Galatians 5:25 and it's such a good context for this discussion. It says since we live by the spirit Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now remember, last week we talked about the fact that because God views us this way, all throughout history, God would create this place in this temple called the most holy place where His presence could be. And He could not have the fullness of His presence touch us here because there is a justice, there is a righteousness to His presence. There is a perfectness and a pureness. But because He's forgiven us, We are now, even though we live over there, He sees us this way. And He sends His Spirit to live in us. And the whole process of life is simply learning to stay in step with the Spirit. As He takes us one more step and He says, Oh, let's look at this rip. Can we deal with the pain of that so it no longer controls your life? Oh, and then let's take another step. Well, let's look at this stain. I'd sure like to clean this up for you. In fact, this is a verse I had earlier in the week, but I didn't include, so I'm sorry, and I can't remember the address of it. I don't remember the address of the verses very well. But But Paul talks about this whole process of taking steps as putting off the old self, taking this shirt off, throwing the rag aside, and putting on the new self. And then life, as we take another step, we get another stain, and it's just simply take it off and put it on again. It's this life of repentance. It's this life of constantly staying focused with God and walking step by step with Him. But there are barriers that keep us from doing that in life. One we've kind of alluded to, but I'm going to talk about it just a little bit more because I don't know. think we said it quite so quite so bluntly. One is the fact that if we don't view ourselves like Jesus, if we view ourselves this way, instead of like He sees us, like He created us, then we can't simply create a barrier in our own life to what God wants to do because we get so focused on here, we don't see that. All we can see is the crud of our life. All we can see is how dirty we are and how we failed and how painful we have made our life. And we create our own barrier by simply deciding That the creator of the universe, who sent his son to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin, to take all the penalty of anything that we have ever done, and instead he wants to view us as the way he created us. Instead, when we get focused here, we choose to say to God, God, I know better than you who I am. This is really my reality when God's saying that's really who we are. It's almost this egocentric thing of talking to God, saying, I know better than you. It's like God giving us this beautiful car that drives, it's running, it's, it's, we're sitting in it, and He says, just put it in D. And let's go. And we say to God, no, D means die, not drive. I know better than you, God. Now, that, that seems like kind of a silly, kind of a silly illustration. But honestly, for us to say to God, This is really who we are. I'm not that. It's the same thing. When we don't trust who God says we are. But there's also another barrier that we can sometimes put up in our life as well. And we're going to talk more about that today. Spend most of our time on that. It's found in the context of John 20. And Jesus... This is the context of this is Jesus has risen from the dead. And this is the first time he has appeared to a large group of his disciples. We know there are at least 10 of his disciples present and some other people around them as well. And Jesus says this to them. He says again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. So he's giving them a commission. He's giving them a purpose for their life. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus doesn't talk to us like we so often think about how we need to receive forgiveness in this passage. It's not so much Him talking to us about how we need to see ourselves this way. In this passage, He gives us the Spirit, and that's what, our, that's what our whole series is about. How do we understand how the Spirit of God relates to us now, today? He gives us the Spirit, and He says, you know what? I give you the Spirit for the purpose of forgiving sins. Now, we've got the negative on the second half of that, which says, if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And some people will look at this passage, and I think erroneously so, and say, well, We have this right when the Holy Spirit comes on us to either forgive or withhold forgiveness. Well, that's baloney. Jesus Himself came to offer forgiveness to everyone who will receive it. For us to not offer forgiveness is to not be like Christ. And so what he's really saying here is that a major, a significant barrier sometimes to us understanding the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is our ability to live in forgiveness towards others. It really comes down to our ability to see people we walk with like that instead of this. Paul goes on and says it further in a different way. He says, uh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead out of, out of order in my notes here. He says in Ephesians 4:29 through 32, he says this about this whole issue of forgiveness, the same thing. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, But get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, the story we started out with today is sappy, and it will be cheesy unless we learn this thing of forgiveness and of walking in it. But you know, there's so many times in life I have to keep asking myself questions because it's so easy for me to not even realize I'm walking in unforgiveness. It's so easy to just walk through life and become hardened and become used to the fact that we've got these, these tears and these holes and this dirt all over us to just even start to ignore that and not even realize it's there. Ask yourself some of these questions. Do you catch yourself ruminating about the pain someone caused you? You know, honestly, maybe today, even on a Mother's Day, if you didn't have a great relationship with your mother or you don't have a great relationship with your daughter, maybe you even ruminate today about some of those pains that you've experienced. Do you catch yourself ruminating about the pain someone caused a person you love? Oh, maybe you've been through a divorce. And you just ruminate about how much pain your spouse has created for your kids. I don't know. There used to be a coach that hurt my kids that I ruminate all about. And I probably ruminate about them again. You know, ruminating is one of those things where you're just kind of, you know, you're mowing the lawn or you're going through the day, you're working, you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody, and all of a sudden you get off the conversation and this thought comes out of nowhere and you just, you start thinking about it. And the, the main thing you can think about is how I can best... Figure out how to tell this person off and show them up the next time I see him. To prove my point. Are there people you avoid greeting or shaking hands with or hugging who you consider, who others really consider them relatively safe people, but for whatever reason, because of pain or because of disappointment or because of sin, they just trigger a pain point for you? And you just can't even think about shaking their hands or hugging them? Maybe another question. Who do you complain about regularly? Sometimes that's a trigger for where we've got unforgiveness. And sometimes it's not even so much the who. Sometimes we just attach this certain pain point to everybody. Sometimes it's more of what do you complain about on a regular basis? Do you complain about people treating you unfairly all the time or in a certain area or a certain way? Or do you expect people to be untrustworthy? Where's our focus? You see, when we do that, it puts a barrier up. For us, sometimes, Lewis Smeads, a guy who's a Christian writer famous for his writing on forgiveness, says this. When you forgive a person who wronged you, you set a prisoner free. And then you discover that the prisoner is you. When we choose not to forgive, we all heard it before, we put a barrier up for ourselves. Why is that? It's because we look at this person who offended us and all we do is look here and it rots at us. All we can think is about how this person should change, they should fix this hole, they should get this off of them and they should never let that dirt or muck get on us. And it puts us in a prison because we forget to see who God has created us to be and called us to be. But it's more than that. It also puts a barrier up for others. Because think about it. I wish I was spiritual enough. I think all of us wish we were spiritual enough and mature enough to always see ourselves that way, right? Don't we always wish we could see, each one, see ourselves as the best possible us we could possibly ever be? But the reality is, for most of us, how we think about ourselves has a lot to do with how other people around us think about ourselves. And when we start focusing in bitterness on the pain of another, we just kind of pick the scab of that person. We constantly remind them, this hole is here. We constantly tell them, don't spill on yourself. Get this garbage off of you. What are you doing? And they too will oftentimes start looking down and saying, this is me. It's not just us learning to see who we are. But this life of staying in step with the Spirit is about us helping other people see who they are as well. With us, And when we get so focused in bitterness, so focused on unforgiveness, it becomes harder for those around us to ever have a chance of even seeing how much God loves us. Because as our verse said in, in, in Ephesians, He wants us to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ forgave us. And when we do that, The Spirit isn't grieved. You see, God's Spirit already sees us as this. He inhabits this in us. He inhabits our potential. And life is simply about that potential drawing us, pulling us, leading us in this direction. And when we, because of our unforgiveness, take somebody else's eyes off of that, we grieve God's spirit. And quite frankly, he doesn't move as strongly as we want. You know, I was thinking this last week as I was preparing for this on Friday. I don't know, it just this thought just came to me. There was a period in my life in another church where I saw God's spirit move among people in ways that I it's come the closest I've ever seen it come to what you read in the Bible. People being healed, seeing people with cancer being healed, seeing people come to Christ, seeing people healed of bitterness and of issues in their life in such a tremendous way. And I just started asking as I was preparing for this message, God, what's the difference? Is it just prayer? Do we not pray enough? What's the difference? Well, the reality is we didn't pray any more there than I think anybody prays here at that church. But for some reason, the reputation of that church became we expect people to come with rags. But this is who people are. And we're just going to take one step at a time. We're not expecting people to come and look like that. We expect them to be like this. You know what? We may never get all the way there. But our whole attitude and our whole culture of that church was let's forgive each other and let's just take the next step. Forgive, take the next step. Expect to forgive repeatedly. And for some reason, in that culture, I think God was more free to move. You see, forgiveness, Paul bows a guy who's famous for his quotes. He never really wrote a book, but he's got quotes all over the place. I think he was a botanist or something that's more famous now for his quotes. He said this of forgiveness. He said, forgiveness does not change the past. It doesn't change the fact that somebody hurt us. It doesn't change the fact that we spilled all over ourselves and shamed ourselves because of sin. All forgiveness does, he says, is enlarge our future. It lets us look at something different. Instead of being myopic and focused on one thing, we change our focus to see the grand thing that God created us for. You know, we could say so much more about forgiveness. You know, we haven't really dealt fully with the idea, what if a person isn't repentant? I mean the invitation of Jesus passage to us is when we're filled with the holy spirit that it doesn't matter if somebody asks or not we are to be giving forgiveness whether somebody asks or not. So that's clear, but how do we deal with that relationship? We we don't have time to deal with that this morning fully. We haven't dealt with what does repent or what does forgiveness look like and how do we act in a way that is for, is forgiving of another person when this person is completely unsafe to be around? I mean there are so many issues we could deal with around that topic. We haven't even we don't even have time fully to deal with the idea of what does forgiveness look like when the when the behaviors even if it's not extremely unsafe, are ongoing and we constantly are pricked, constantly hurt, and we're just forced. Maybe we're forced to work with a guy or work with somebody who's just going to constantly hurt us. How do we deal with forgiveness? What does it look like in that setting? There's so many things that we could deal with more. But I want to refer you instead because this is because I want to move to a close here in a different direction. I want to refer you to, instead to Lewis Smede's book, S-M-E-D-E-S. It's called Forgive and Forget. It's one of the best books ever written on forgiveness. If you feel like this morning, to any of those questions, there is an issue in your life that you need to address, or I would encourage you to take those same questions we talked about this week and just reflect on them and ask God, is there an area of unforgiveness that I need to deal with, not only to free myself, but maybe to free my spouse or my dad or my employer or my friend? As well, to see themselves like God sees them. And I want to, I want to encourage you to do that. Also, just keep in mind, for the future. And in, Ju- in June, we're going to be having a renewing your mind class that will deal with some of this stuff as well. An unknown author said this. He said, "Holding resentment is like eating poison and then waiting for the other person to keel over. It just doesn't make sense, does it?" You know, while it's true that unforgiveness creates a barrier for us, it really is true that unforgiveness can create a barrier for those people around us to ever receive God's grace as well. And if we hope to achieve the unconditional love, the sense of joy that brings tears to our eyes from the story we read at first, the only hope of that ever happening is to learn to live forgiveness well. And to close, I want to read a story from Corrie Ten Boom. You know, Mother's Day is is not just about biological mothers. I think two of the greatest mothers of the 20th century were Mother Teresa and Corrie Ten Boom, neither of which ever had biological kids or adopted kids, You know, we have the opportunity, you saw all the kids here, we have the opportunity to mother people whether you ever have kids or not. Maybe you're even done with your mothering years. You still have the opportunity to mother or father people who need other people to speak into their life and teach them to live well. Corey Tenboom has a powerful story. It's set in 1947 of just finished preaching at a church in war-torn Germany about how when God forgives our sins, He throws them to the deepest part of the ocean and doesn't remember them anymore. As people were filing out, she says this. She says, and that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat in his hand and the next a flashback of a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the middle of the room, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of her skin. Betsy, how thin you were. You see, Betsy and I, she says, had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi Nazi occupation of Holland. And this man who was coming forward had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where they were sent. She goes on to say, now he was in front of me, a hand thrust out. And he says, a fine message, Freylander. How good it is to know that as you say.'" All our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course, I thought. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. The leather whip swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. The man went on. He said, You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. And she thought, No, he does not remember me. But he went on. He said, Since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. And again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? Corey says, "I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven, and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds, but it, that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like an eternity as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, she says. I knew I had to do it. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So she goes on to say, I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience because since the war had ended, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former captors, their former enemies, were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still, I stood there with a coldness, clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So Corey prays, help. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Lord, you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, she says, I thrust my hand and the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into the joined hands. And then his healing warmth seemed to flood the whole place, bringing tears to my eyes. And she said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, she says, we grasp each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. An amazing story of forgiveness. Maybe it seems a little bit removed because of the intensity of what she experienced. But the feeling she felt that day going down her shoulder, into her hand, all across her, is the Spirit of God moving because she was moving in line with what He wants. He wants us to view others as He views them. Not in their filthy rags, but in the way He created them to be. And Cory Ten Boom also said this. She said, It's not my ability, but my response to God's ability that counts. This whole journey for us in life, from a place of rags to the way God sees us, has nothing to do with our ability. We can't do it. We can't go there on our own. It has everything to do with our response to God's ability, which He invites us to stay in step with Him. Just take the next step. Stay focused there. Let go of our bitterness towards ourselves and towards others to bring forgiveness, to take that off, throw it away, and put that on, no matter how many times we get stained, no matter how many times we get ripped, to take that off, throw it away, and put that on, and to help others do the same by the way we view them, by the way we initiate forgiveness towards them. There is so much freedom this thing of following Jesus is not about our ability. It's not about our ability to define rules or set rules based upon how we read the Bible of what is right and wrong. It is simply, purely about our ability to stay in step with the God who loves us so much that He chooses us to view us as pure. And the best form that we could ever be in, the way He created us. He just invites us each day to take another step towards that. Lord, I thank You for the people here today. Lord, thank You that You don't require us to be perfect right now. You just take us where we're at and You lead us. You don't condemn us. You view us as wonderful, as good. And you come to us each day and you invite us to forgive ourselves. You invite us to forgive others and take a step. Take a step towards who you created us to be. Lord, I pray that your forgiveness would be present today, that people would know your love And that we would all turn to you with our rags. Take them off. Leave them at your feet. And walk on. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you have an area that you've had a hard time forgiving in. And would just like somebody to pray for you. Would you grab the person next to you? Or come down and grab somebody up front to pray. If you're here today and you've never made a choice to accept God's forgiveness for yourself, it's awfully hard to forgive anybody else if we haven't been able to forgive ourselves and allow God to forgive us. I invite you to make that decision today. You can do that simply by talking to a friend of yours who you know has committed their life to Christ or you can talk to one of us. But folks, let's be a people. Let's be a church. Let's be sappy, like the story. Let's be that kind of people who constantly loves one another, who constantly comes back, no matter what, that we are a people that not only loves, but we like each other. And we practice the habits of liking each other. And we practice getting rid of the bitterness and getting rid of the slander and getting rid of the malice. And and we view each other like God views us. Let's be that to ourselves and to this world. God bless. Happy Mother's Day.